Hello, and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, where we talk about conversations and the conversations you need to have to move forward with your career or whatever your life goals are. Today, I have a guest from Los Angeles. Our guest's name is Kevin McCarney. He actually owns several restaurants in Los Angeles, and we were just speaking before the recording, and he's very pleased to share that he is still in business and still has all his employees. So he must be doing something right there on the food end and the communication side. But before he got into the restaurant business, he worked in corporate. He's been a trainer. He has been a guest speaker at USC. And by the way, I have to clarify, this is the Trojan USC, not the Gamecock USC. They have a Marshall School of Business, and we have a Darla Moore School of Business. Anyway, he's been at several universities speaking. He's a successful entrepreneur, speaker, mentor, husband, dad, and he's been on the board of directors of a lot of interesting organizations, including the Boys and Girls Club of Burbank. Oh, and I forgot one more thing. He has a new communication book out. It's a very unlikely title about communication, Big Brain, Little Brain how to control which one speaks for you. So welcome to the show, Kevin. I just gave like the 30-second bio. Tell our audience about yourself. Well, thank you very much. I've been in the people business all my life, and I've been trying to pay attention to what works with people, what doesn't work, and trying to, once I learned it, I had to try to explain it and, and teach it to my employees and to others. And so to me, I distilled a lot of those complicated stories into this book, where I try to simplify the different responses or reactions that people have in pressure situations, because that's usually when they, they let their tongue slip or they say something they totally regret, because under pressure, people just fill in and blurt things out because they think that space of time needs to be filled in. That's where little brain comes in and says the wrong thing, snarky, quick, snappy, where big brain will take a moment to think and say, wait a minute, let's take a look at this moment. What do we really need to say here? So that's kind of the crux of the big brain, little brain. Yes, it's such a great concept. And so I think it's really about communicating in a way that's emotionally intelligent. And Kevin has come up with a great way of explaining the amygdala, which is the reptilian part of the brain and the neofrontal cortex, I believe, the executive brain, the smart one that makes good decisions. And then the more emotional brain, the amygdala is where we, it gets us into trouble. I saw myself, you know, the snarky self is the amygdala. Could you review for us, like what kinds of things does the little brain do and what kind of things does the big brain do? Sure. Thank you. I think that one of the things that little brain does is it gets annoyed easily and it looks for things that annoy it. But Just take an example of driving and what is called road rage. Somebody cuts you off and somebody thinks, well, they cut me off. I have a right to speed up and say something to them. That's where a little brain will do it. Same thing will happen in the workplace where somebody will say something and they feel this or something or they want to get back at that person. They say, well, they said that I have a right to say that. We're kind of falling into this, especially with the Internet and this impulsive nature of the Internet that we think we have to react so quickly to virtually everything that happens and said, because that's the nature of the internet. And it's teaching us maybe to react too quickly. And so little brain will, it's where name calling comes from. It's where that 
rolling your eyes comes from. It's where incredibly poor listening comes from, where somebody cuts somebody off in the middle of a sentence because they think they know what they're going to say. And I think there's so many little nuances here. But I think the other thing is that little rainbow gossip about other people. And, you know, it really, it goes for that primal urge of us just to be satisfied with saying something or doing something instead of thinking about the repercussions of what that those words or those actions are going to create. I think if you want to see little brain in action, go to any youth sports game and it won't be the kids. Right. Okay. I, know. I know. I have been to those games. I have three kids. I know. Exactly. Yeah, you know exactly what it is. So <laughs> it's part of our life. We're all part. Listen, I know half this book really well, right? And I'm, I'm working on the other half myself, but it really comes down to, I really started seeing people make these amateur mistakes. I would call them now in communication where they felt that they had to, react because somebody says something. They had to impulsively get back at them. And when you see enough of those and the, the patterns that play out, I was just trying to say, slow down a minute, guys, take a look at this. And I've got a couple of tools in the book that I think help people do more than simply count to 10 and actually give them somewhere to go and some tools to do it with. I know. And the funny thing to me is that you would think that by the time we got to vice president level, that we wouldn't be dealing with people's little brain because supposedly if somebody got promoted to that high stratosphere, they would not be so susceptible to their little brain. But alas, that little brain is also active in executive suites. It's, it's, it's everywhere. You know, when I was in corporate, I noticed that people who had reached that level of controlling the company were actually more susceptible to their little brain than others because they had so much power. There was nobody there to check them. So these corporate leaders would say whatever they want to say, thinking that, oh, I've got the power to do that, not realizing that ripple effect that their words or their actions might have. And, you know, as you see these ripple effects play out and you just sit back and go, okay, we all learned a lesson on that one. And it's just, it's a desire of mine to get people to not use their little brain or control their little brain, because that's really what the neocortex is about. It's about controlling that little brain's ability to take over the emotions of that moment. That's the way I read it. And I think that it's a, I've seen too many relationships destroyed because of poor communication or pushed to the wrong side because of poor communication. Too many marriages, too many business relationships where people they just say the wrong thing because that's all they know. And that's where I press people to improve their vocabulary, read as much as they can. But also when it comes to the most basic instinct, when it comes to the workplace, probably one of the most destructive things in the workplace is rumors. And rumors turn into gossip and they have a life of their own. It's kind of a subculture. It's a silent cancer that if it's not addressed, it will take over. And this subculture of this rumor that's been told that all of a sudden becomes, you know, just fodder for someone to use in a break room or somewhere else, it becomes very destructive. So one of the things we talk about, and I think that in your, I'm sure you do this a lot, is when you're trying to fix a, a culture, is to get people to not only stay away from gossip, but turn completely around. And I'll just tell you a quick story. I had a great chef. Great chef, great manager, right? Worked for years together and all of a sudden they weren't talking. Great chef, a great manager. I did not want to lose either one of them. This was so important to me. And so Patty, who's been with me for 30 years, she and I were talking like, how do we get these guys back together? Because they don't seem to be talking. It's tough. You know, can we sat them down, put them in the same room? Is there anything wrong? No, no, you know, just don't feel anything. 
very indifferent. So how you I strategize? Okay. She's on the chef. She's on a day off next Thursday when we're having the big meeting. And Robert is going to be running that meeting, the managers. Okay. So we played this out. We said, Robert, what are the three things she does really well? Oh, well, I can tell you three things she doesn't do really well. Thank you, Robert. We got that. Now, what about three things she does do well? And says, okay, because you had to get that little brain out of the way, right? Just let that little brain vent out of the way. Now let's get to the real stuff. As well, she's always on time. She's great with customers and she's impeccably dressed. She does really good with her uniform. Okay, great. So tomorrow, we said, this is a Wednesday, at that meeting, when she's not there, we want you to finish the meeting saying, by the way, Christine's not here, but I want to tell you three things about her that I really appreciate. And I want you to name those three things and then end the meeting without another word. And I was so surprised. Patty and I were both surprised. He did it flawlessly. It was just incredible. So what do you think that's going to do? I go, let's see. Let's find out. Let's see what's going to happen. Because I had a couple ideas and then, you know, my, my. And the next day, he walks in the door and from a corner of the kitchen that he's almost never hears from, good morning, Robert. How are you today? Oh, wow. And it's like, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, great. Hey, I just want to show you a couple of things that I'm working on. And all of a sudden, without a word spoken between them, this good gossip that we named this turned their relationship around. And it did more than that. This was the most fascinating component. We were watching all the other people on the team listen to him as he was speaking about her. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that the team was really into this because they knew the tension between them. That Nobody hides anything. There are no secrets in the workplace. And we noticed how the team was taking it in. And Patty and I were talking to them afterwards. And they took this whole thing so well. They said, wow, if he's saying things like that about her when she's not here, I wonder what he's saying nice about me when I'm not here. The entire opposite effect of gossip. Because when somebody gossips, it takes down the trust level. Exactly. But when when you turn it into good gossip, when you strategize Mm -hmm. and you use good gossip, not only as it has to be true, it has to be honest stuff. It can't just be blowing smoke. That won't work. Right. And it just it changes the workplace because now people trust the manager a lot more because he had the power to say anything he wanted to. But instead, he says something very productive about her and he felt great about it. So all of a sudden, this tension and this disease in the workplace got erased because of this good gossip. And it was just a a great lesson for us to learn. And I call a couple of things out and it's happened. Several other people sent me letters and articles about things that have happened in their own workplace. But it really becomes one of the most strategic tools for eliminating that negative subculture and getting rid of that so you can work on the rest of the culture. No, I love this tool of the good gossip. And I think it's a great way because people think that they need to have what we call in the South, like come to Jesus meeting. (laughs) And, you know, really, well, you did this and I, that made me feel this. And I never like that approach because to me, when you say that somebody makes you feel a certain way, to me, that's starting with from a very weak, position. I actually, because I read your book, I was able to recommend that tool 
to a client just before we started our interview. Someone had problem with broken trust. And so I said, well, this is what you're going to do. And so in a 25 minute really coaching call, I was able, she loved the idea because she didn't have to go face to face, talk to this person, but by saying good things, as you said, I said, be sincere, be specific. And I can't wait to hear how it comes out. I can't wait either. You know, the thing I love about it is that it really is genuine. And my, the original good gossip story happened even pre iPhone. Oh, but even then within 24 hours, even then today it would be 24 seconds. Right. 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 (laughs) Even then, she had heard about what he said within 24 hours. Yeah and, yeah. and that was a magic moment that, you know, I felt like, okay, write this down. <laughs> and, right. And, and, but it really is, you know, so many things that can interrupt the workplace. There's so many annoyances that get in our way that we let divide us from our coworkers and things like that right. sometimes. And right. if we're not careful, if we let little brain take over, if we let little brain, you know, get its way because it feels it has a right to do that. You know, they have a right to to be angry or a right to retribution. You know, it just it happens so often. You know, things happen in the workplace and everybody's perfect. Things are going to go wrong. People are going to say the wrong thing. You just come back to a tool in the book where I tell people because I was given a presentation to a business group in uh, L.A. And at the same week, I was given a presentation to a group of people coming out of prison who were getting culinary skills. Right. Okay. And they were, get, they were getting a 14 week culinary program. I was brought in to help them handle themselves in the kitchen when under the pressure. But in the business group on a Monday, I'm giving a presentation. I'm talking to them about big brain, little brain. And most of them got it really good. But a small percentage said, you know, I don't, I don't know if I get it. You know, I can't think that fast. I said, OK, I got, let me. So I work with them a little bit. And then a couple of days later, I do the, the, the people coming out of prison, the culinary program. And I got almost the exact same number of people in the business group as the culinary group. I, I don't quite understand. I don't get it. So I had to come up with something other than think before you speak or count right. to 10, you know, or that I would call it the Charlie Brown mother's version of how you should communicate. And so I, I really struggled and I came up with neutral mm-hmm. as oh, a place yeah. to go. Instead of count to 10, this is where you go when you're counting to 10. You go to neutral because if you get the neutral, it's just a small pocket of space where you can take get an immediate awareness that, oh, this is a situation I'm in. This is what I should be saying. And I give them some tools there. And I think one of the tools is everybody has their own, what I call neutral word. Mm-hmm. Parents have this a lot when the kids mess up and do things. My neutral word is, okay, what have we got here, right? Because that gives me that yes. breathing room, but it's a word that sends sort of a mnemonic signal to my big brain to take over. Don't let little brain get into this conversation because little brain will mess it up. And I think that I came home from a long day in the restaurant business is about 20 hours. And I came home from a 20 hour day because I'd gotten up at one o'clock in the morning for some big issues, construction, and I was exhausted. I wanted to walk into my house, sit in a chair and just do nothing. But I walked in and there were 20 kids singing at the top of their lungs. My daughter's choir program. And it's like, okay, what do we got going here? <laughs> so oh that I, I guess there's a couple other words in there if you want to take a look and, and people to try out their neutral words. And But the idea is that mnemonic signal to your big brain, take over here, okay? Don't let me mess this up. Because, you know, there's what you think you have a right to say and there's the right thing to say. 
for that right. moment. Right, and right. That's the challenge I think that we all have. And nobody is immune to little brain. Obviously, nobody. Every we all have it. We all have to control it. Right. My big brain word is relax, and that comes from my. That's what my husband always tells me when I start getting fired up with little brain. <laughs> so now I've learned to tell it to myself, Laura. Just relax. Yeah. So, well, that's exactly. That's a perfect word because it's your word to yourself. And although I give examples, I really encourage people to come up with their own word. Mm -hmm. And if they can say it out loud in a non-confrontational yes. way, I need to relax I need or I need to think about this. But whatever that non-confrontational tone that they could use, mm -hmm. because the other emphasis we talk about quite a bit is the tone is the message on everything. Right. You know, you, tone is everything. I, my daughter's taught me that. My five-year-old taught me that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, when, when she was five. She's much older now, but she taught me that. And I think I was under the Christmas tree trying to hook up the lights and I watched her little steps go up and the ladder. And I go, Caitlin, get down from there. Right. Perfect. Calm. Right. Parental right. voice. Oh, right. Right. Model. And ladder. And she says, but, and then she goes up to the next step. And I went, parental tone number two, <laughs> Caitlin, get down from there. Right. That's going to make a difference. Right. <laughs> she keeps going. I couldn't understand. This is not, she doesn't act like that. So I'm getting out from the tree. I'm about to launch in DEFCON number five, Caitlin Rose, with a, with a very negative tone, right? And I look at her before I could say that, she looks at me and I said, honey, you've got to get down this much more. It's too dangerous for you to be up there. Mm -hmm. And she looks at me, she goes, I like that tone better, daddy. Oh my gosh, that's so my, my five-year-old is teaching me. Let's do that, yeah. What, how she wanted to hear her communication. Yeah. It was just brilliant, just brilliant on her part because she tuned right into exactly what I was doing wrong. Right. And the tone was it. That's right. Well, we, you know, we've talked about several of the negative things that come up with communication, but I have something, I, a quote I want to share with you. It might sound familiar. It says, communication is your biggest asset and your most important export, import, and product. Oh, what do you know? That's Kevin McCartney who said that. <laughs> so tell me, have you seen good communication, you know, make a positive difference in someone's career trajectory? All the time. When I was uh, the business groups that I talked to, I get communications from them all the time, not only about good gossip, but also about some of the other things we talk about. And that is, you know, take responsibility if you made a mistake. Just quickly take responsibility. You know, someone was talking to about a week ago said the best thing that they ever learned was neutral because they didn't know it existed. They had no idea. And yeah. this was a person who was very gregarious and mm -hmm. owns his own company, but not good at getting to neutral, not good at, at taking that moment of perspective. And the, by the way, neutral isn't just me. It actually comes from, I highlight, someone came up to me after a group and said, you need this quote from Viktor Frankl. And I had never heard of Viktor Frankl. I had never heard of him in high school or nothing. And it turns out he was a neuroscientist from the 40s who wrote several books on human communication. But his thing was between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is where we make our choice. Correct. And that is, to me, it was just the best quote I've ever heard. And that's why I threw it in the book there. But it's a real thing about this. But with all this stuff, I think that so many of the little tools that I presented in the book and the stories that I present are real stories. These are not made up things because these are people that I've talked to and interacted with. I've been in 
in my own business now, 37 years, but then I worked in corporate before that. And I was in literally corporate training, but that kind of corporate training back then was so inadequate because mm -hmm. it, it was all about check the box mm -hmm. training. Yeah. Okay. We told them about that. We told them about that. We told them about that. And they think that telling somebody is training right, when, right. and you know that right. training is a constant reinforcement of the policy and the procedure you want to put out there. But back then that corporate training was simply get the message out and get and move on. And that's not, as you know, you can't do that. It doesn't stick. You just right. tell them what, and they'll, you have to tell them what all the time, right. you know, help them why, and they will remember it. They'll, why is the sticky part? All right. Well, my next question is about listening, which you, of course, give a lot of attention to about listening as a tool. I have written down for control, connection, and understanding. Why would it be a tool for control? Because when you're listening, if you're authentically listening to that person and what they're talking about, I ask people to visualize what that person is saying. Because if you visualize that, then you're connecting with that person and you're very much in control of that moment for yourself. You control where you're going. And if you're listening to somebody else, you're beginning to understand the nuances and influence that they're under. Whether you're reading their tone, if you're hearing that, it puts you in control of all those aspects of that conversation. Now you are in control of, you feel that person is feeling is frustrated. Okay, now you know because you're really listening hard and you're able to discern that, it helps you decide how you're going to respond. But Kevin, some people take forever to get to the point. So how am I going to listen to them when I know what they're going to say? Because they've said it 500 times before. I mean, do you see that? Is it ever good to interrupt in your way of thinking? You know, it's an art to that component of it. I do think it's if you don't have the time, you generally don't have the time to listen, or you can just say, you know what, I've got a schedule I've got to keep. Can any way we can move this forward? Is there any way I can we can shorten this a little bit so, so I can still be, help you with this issue? You know, I think that with every person, it's going to be a little bit different, but mm -hmm. I think with everybody will understand a time constraint, especially today. Right. Time, and time constraints are here. Oh, you know, I've got a meeting in an hour. And it's funny, just before this phone call, I had a good friend of mine call. She says, you free? I go, I got four minutes. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like me with my kids. Oh, yeah. can I talk? No, you've got four minutes. Yeah, you got four minutes. So sometimes a time frame will help with that, especially if somebody is repeatedly more verbose than you need them to be. Right. And that's a nice way to put it. Yes, it is. Well, I think it's just people have the habit and they have a hard time. They really don't know how to end. I've learned from finally, I've mostly hit coach people on the introvert side, but my practice is built now that some more loquacious people <laughs> come in also. So they really, sometimes people don't know how to end. So they just keep talking until they run out of things to say. That's a brilliant point. Or I'm going to tell you something that's huge because people get uncomfortable. That's where little brain gets uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Because they can't stand the silence, right? They, they can't stand the silence and they don't know how to end it. Mm -hmm. So they just keep filling in. You see this in the political arena all the time. When a politician is speaking, they don't know how to end it. So they just keep talking. Right. You know, if they stopped right. after five minutes, they could rule the world, but they keep talking. And right. it doesn't matter who it is on either side. It really comes down to because they have the time to speak, they just keep Taking speaking. The so the yeah. intention is lost, mm -hmm. you know, but in that extra verbosity, it just, it doesn't work. And so I really feel like 
you hit on a key point here, and that is end the conversation, look for the exit points and mm-hmm. take those opportunities. But if somebody is uncomfortable because they don't know how to end, then we have to help them. That's exactly right. And yes, and if you don't know how to end the conversation, I mean, that's actually kind of tricky for people to learn, but it has to do with getting clear on your purpose and getting, like you just said, comfortable with ending it and comfortable with silence. Yeah, little and yeah, and that's a total executive tool that if you want to go to the C suite, you absolutely need to be comfortable with that silence. Brilliant point. Brilliant. You touched on a topic very dear to my heart which is the value of expanding one's vocabulary. And before you answer, I want to just tell you a lot of times I coach people whose English is their second language and their vocabulary is perfectly adequate, but they want to have you know more words, more power, more control, more nuance, more precision, I think would be the right adjective. So talk to me about why you counsel, expanding one's vocabulary, and how you think is the best way to go about it? Well, I learned to speak Spanish, and I'm still not fluent. My brother is fluent. My brother's fluent in Spanish and Cuban, and there's a slight variation between those. But because I needed to communicate with the different people at different times in Los Angeles here. So I learned by, number one, by going into the workplace and speaking it, but also by listening to the radio and reading. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you can read the way somebody else is saying it, and then you can hear how somebody else is saying it, you need both the eyes and the ears to be in coordination. And now with podcasting, it's even easier on podcasting. It's much better because you could be driving, you could be doing something and you can be taking that information in. I think these little apps that they have are cute and they're nice from that standpoint, but they're not as productive because you have to stop what you're doing and do that. And mm-hmm. to me, anything you can do while you're doing something else, because we're, we're all doing something else while we're doing what we're doing. <laughs> and that's going to be the thing. But I think that the vocabulary for me, I'm extremely dyslexic. I mean, I was diagnosed in high school and they even tried to give me Evelyn Wood because they thought, oh, it's just a speed problem. I was diagnosed at lowest words permitted, I think, anybody in the school. And so to me, because I didn't really read a lot growing up, mm-hmm. I was working a lot and I didn't read a lot. It wasn't until I actually started reading that I started picking up the vocabulary. And even right now, my daughters say, Dad, where'd you get that word? Because I'll come up with a word and I'll come up with a phrase and I'll say it right in the right context. And they'll say, because they're much more educated than I am. Both girls went to UCs, they're great. But for whatever reason, I picked up on when I was reading, I started picking up and really that authentic listening where I'm trying to visualize Mm -hmm. what I'm reading. That's why I read slow, but it's also that dyslexia that, that makes you read slow. Right. It forces you to read slow. Like even right now in Spanish, I have much better accent than I do a vocabulary in Mm -hmm. Spanish. My accent is very good. I can pass, but I have to be careful because I have a a limited vocabulary, but my accent sounds like I have a much larger vocabulary. (laughs) Right. But the vocabulary to me, whatever arena you're in, I would read every book you can and every article you can about that arena because it starts to work and it comes, it stays that quick access vocabulary that you'll have. Mm-hmm. But I think vocabulary is critical because I didn't realize this until I was in my twenties, what a limited vocabulary I had back then. How did you know? How did you learn that you did have a limited vocabulary? I, because as I was convinced to start reading more books and I started reading more books, I realized, oh, okay. 
I didn't, so many words I didn't recognize, so many words I didn't see, but I was pushing through them because mm-hmm. a friend of mine encouraged me, you've got to get through these books. And then was it about five or six years ago, my, one of my daughters handed me a book called Ireland by a man named Delaney. And she hands me this book because I read business things all the time. I'm always right. reading business stuff, but I don't really, I look at fiction as luxury. You know, like I don't have a luxury to read fiction. My daughter said, you have to finish this book by next month. Five, oh. 545 pages. Oh, wow. And I didn't understand all the words in it. Um, but there were a couple words, but I understood most of them. But the thing is, it was easy for me because he was telling a story while mm-hmm. he was while he was doing this. So the visualization was simple. But I think that the vocabulary is important because even when I'm speaking Spanish, this group of Spanish speakers, I need them to understand what I'm saying. And right. I can't, if I'm going to be so lazy as to only get out what I want to say and not what they need to understand, then that's on me. Right, right, right. But I like to recommend people who want to expand their vocabulary that they do read the luxury books, the nonfiction I'm reading, I mean, no, I would not recommend this one. I'm reading The Brothers Karamazov, which is like 990 something pages and I'm on 700. It's been a wow. slog. But I was like, I'm going to do it. It's taken me quite, I mean, like several months. But there's a shorter book that's contemporary that I think is good. It was so well done and creative and good story and not long called The Gentleman in Moscow. That's a just, if anybody's looking for a good, not Russian novel length <laughs> book to okay. read. Actually, even though it takes place in Moscow, it's written by uh, an American who is actually, or he was an investment banker. So he's you know not a writer by trade. So anyway. I like that. I wrote it down because that yeah, be, uh, I think you would like it. It is I, just very I will. clever. I yeah. love books that have a good story and it teaches me everything. I love learning new words. I think it's words are free. It's like a gold mine that you have free access to, right? Yeah. But if you don't ever go in there and pull out those words and you're left shorthanded. That's right. I, I used to tell people, if my son tells me he's dating or he's seen or met a young woman who's smoking hot versus, <laughs> versus beautiful yeah. versus exquisitely lovely. I mean, I have different images and different reactions to those different words. And I'm going to throw out this quote from your book. Words are the most powerful drug used by mankind by Kipling, who is a fantastic writer, I believe. So We're all into, if you have more words, you have more ways to say something, you can be more precise. So there's a, yes. Tell me about your tool of telegraphing. That is a very clever name. And I don't even know if people know what a telegraph is anymore. You know, it's funny when I was writing it, I said, you know, evidently I did enough research finding out people still, at least at this point, know what a telegraph is. (laughs) And the idea behind telegraph is what, they would tell, let the next train station know that, hey, the train's on its way. And that was, and then they would communicate across the country. But the idea was that you would tell people ahead of time that something's going to happen. Okay. And I think that's the whole idea behind telegraphing is, you know, sometimes you'll walk in on a Monday morning, and there's a meeting and there's a, a from now on memo. Okay, mm-hmm. from now on, we will do this, right? Like a total shock and a total like ambush, like, whoa, now we're doing this. And with no knowledge and no time to process anything mm-hmm. new, but anytime in expression of corporate world where you something new is going to happen, 
if you don't telegraph that ahead of time saying, you know, hey, next month we're going to be changing the format the way we do things. So let's all get ready for that. Then people can accept it. I learned this again. It's true in family or anything else. If you're going to change the way things are happening or, or things are going to change in their life, you got to let them know mm-hmm. ahead of time because mm-hmm. they need processing time right. to deal with it. Because if you just ambush them with a an edict, or, oh, this is what we're doing from now on, it sends a ripple effect. People are nervous and what, what is going on they, and they feel like they've been shortchanged. So I think that the telegraphing tool is true for virtually anything. I know that we're involved with the high school and a lot of the different extracurricular teams and mm-hmm. extracurricular groups, whenever they would go on different events, we had to get telegraph to everybody exactly what was going to happen so that they knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. And once they knew what to expect, then we reinforce it as it happens. But if you don't ever tell them and you just go, no, this is, I'm telling you to do this right now, it's not a comfortable way to communicate or certainly not a comfortable way to receive communication. So right. telegraph, telegraphing is a big a big plus in it. It's the opposite of ambushing. Oh, right, right, right. I love that discussion on ambushing. And I, I definitely believe, you know, when somebody back in the day when we were all in offices or cubicles and people, you know, not, Hey, I need to talk to you about something. I mean, that was the (laughs) ultimate ambush. Very unpleasant. And for people like me, even to this day, like I, I don't know if it's the little brain or the big brain, but it just all shuts down (laughs) because I don't like what's going on. Well, in corporate world or in marriage or in any relationship, <laughs> right. telegraphing is a good idea yes. because ambushing is never going to work in your favor. And I think it really comes to, it's a level of respect too for the individuals. And it doesn't mean that there won't be surprises that the things you can't control and the timing on, but for the most part, we can control the timing on the way we say things. And some people say, well, let's not tell them until we actually have to do it, or let's not tell them until then. I think you have to measure what's best for that group of people. When should they find mm-hmm. out and make it a respectful decision as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely telegraphing is a very good one. And I, I think that in that same section on time, I talk about us when we are ambushed mm-hmm. by somebody is to use a time parachute, mm-hmm. you know, which is basically saying, you know, understanding that if you're being put under pressure right now to do something or say something, Think of it as a parachute, like, oh, I need some time before this can land. You know what? I hear what you're saying. Let me think about that for a couple minutes. Let me think about that for a while. Let me get back to you on that. I'm going to, we all do this. We all have this, but we don't necessarily see them as tools. And right. I think that, that a time parachute is the perfect tool when you're under pressure, where, where somebody is expecting an answer. And in today's texting by the second world, you know, mm-hmm. somebody texts you something right now, you, you begin to think, oh, I've got to respond or react to right yeah. now. That's right that. now, it's, it's because it's immediate because I can, I have to. And that's not the case because you can, you can simply say, hmm, interesting. I get it. Let me think about that for a little while and I'll get back to you or can't complete the thought right now. I will talk to you. But the idea is we have to take back control of our time and our calendars, of course, too. But, you know, when somebody ambushes you or pushes this pressure of the moment thing, you're in control. You can take time and just say, you know what? Not, I can't answer that right now, but let me get back to you. Whatever you can come up and there's examples in the book, but really everybody has their own thing that they've used in the different situations. And I would just have them write it down and use it as a tool so that they don't feel ambushed, so that nobody can put that kind of pressure on them. And some people aren't as quick as reacting or, or responding. That's mm-hmm. okay. It's going to happen. But so give them the breath of time and take it. You know, right. that's not just 
take it. We have the responsibility ourselves to take that time and to say, I'm not ready to talk about this. When my daughters were growing up mm-hmm. and they asked me questions about certain things, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not really ready to answer that question right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll I tell you. We'll talk about that another day. Yeah. Another. I'm not going to push off, but right now is not appropriate. So, but you take that same idea and you put it in a corporate world under pressure. Just, you know what? You don't have to answer everything right away. I think that that's the, the beauty of the internet is you and I can have a conversation miles apart where, right. but the side effect of the internet is social media, which sort of demands instant reaction. And I think it's up to us to sort of take back that concept of, hmm, let me think about this. Right. Totally agree. Well, the, Kevin, this has been so interesting. I'm going to have ask one more question and then you can... I'll let you share anything you want with the audience and certainly let them know how they can get in touch with you or I guess your book is available on Amazon. But so if somebody comes to you, you know, and says, you know, I'm going to buy your book, but I want to know if I want to become a better communicator, what should I do? Listen, I think number one is listen. I was taught that at an early age by a couple of friends of mine. I have some 50-year friends, literally, that I've had for many, many years that early on in high school, I learned how to listen to them because they were going through some difficult situations. And, you know, the instinct is to try to fix what other people are going through, Right. you know, and so, but that listening to really understand and realize that sometimes they just want to be heard. And then sometimes by listening, you get a much better knowledge of where you need to go from that moment and where to take it. But I think that from a communication standpoint is respect the other person's. I think that I try to deal with that throughout the book is respect the other person, understand that there's pressure moments that everybody is under and not every infraction is needs to be an argument or a war. You know, I think one of the things that the internet has also created unknowingly, maybe, maybe knowingly is this concept that we all have to get back at somebody. And I think that get back is we've got to erase or diminish that in the culture by listening and realizing that not everything needs a an immediate overreaction. And I think you look at road rage or you look at people in movie theaters or you look at people going into restaurants and overreacting because they didn't get the right food. If you take this and you look at this and you go from a perspective from the outside, you can see this, you go, oh my gosh, what's happening? Look at, I'm in the restaurant business. I know that I'm in the business really of serving people with low blood sugar. <laughs> I, I know I was behind the counter for the first seven or eight years, right? Mm-hmm. I know what people are like when they're coming in. They have been thinking about that product they're ordering for the last two hours. They got yelled at at work. Something's happening. And if you mess up that product, you mess up that burger or that burrito. Oh my gosh. It is so much more than just a food item that got messed up. It's something that you can tell they're overreacting because of the other things going on in their life. Mm-hmm. And so we have to train our people to just understand that. And we call it slipping the punch. Let the negative energy go by. Right. And let the negative energy go by and then come back with a smile. And we have a thing we call set. Smile, eye contact, and tone. Mm-hmm. Every For every customer, in a split second, you can smile, you can make eye contact, and you can reset that tone. That's critical to pressure situations. But I think from every relationship that I know, I think that little brain will mess it up if we let it. Little brain will take over in these pressure moments. And I'm hoping to give some tools to people that don't let that happen. 
Right. It's not triggers me when I'm driving. I know everybody wants to know this. It's not people cutting in front of me. I am as patient as St. Teresa of Calcutta, if you do that to me. <laughs> wow. But, but when you don't use your turning signal, <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's funny. We have a, a whole little list in the book and even uh, on the website, you can get download a blank page for this is we all have activators. You oh, know, yeah, that was we, a great we all have activated. Yeah. We all have things that activate us in our life. Mine is when I'm in a restaurant and I've perfectly mixed my coffee, right? And before I have a chance to even have the second sip, they come and they, they top it off. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't believe that, right? So these are these are activators that that annoy us, that right. little brain literally wants to take it and make a bigger deal out of it than oh, it really yeah. is. Oh, it just, good. it wants to make a bigger deal out of it, but it's not, you know, it, these things are going to happen. We're going to be running, like, just going to be rude people. There's going to be things. The idea is to let the errant comment or, or the rude behavior pass without confrontation, because I think that we have so many things going on in our lives. We're so activated because of the last year and a half. The best thing we can do is not get into a confrontation simply because we're annoyed, you know, right. My, right. And too many incidents of people getting back at somebody that turn into more than simply upgraded conversation. Right. And can take a bad situation and make it worse, which is yes. what we don't want to happen. And what we want is to build a healthy culture where everyone feels heard, understood, and valued, which doesn't mean you have to agree all the time, but it does help if you use turning signals. Yes, all it right. does. <laughs> Well, a turning <laughs> signal is a perfect metaphor for telegraphing. Yes, it is. It is. This is where I'm going. <laughs> exactly. This is where I'm going. That's a right. great point. Well, Kevin, I'll let you have the last word except for goodbye. Well, I appreciate so much your form. I look at your website and everything. I appreciate you exist. And there's this whole thing because this idea that we need to learn how to communicate better is so big. We've got to have more people pushing it and being out there and being their resource. I really appreciate this. My website is bigbrainlittlebrain.com. You can go on there and there's two free downloads. One of them is that activator worksheet. So you can make all the list of things that activate you in your life. I don't use the word triggered in the books because I kind of feel like that indicates to some people it's already set in motion where I say activated, you still have control. You still are responsible for what you're going to say and what you're going to do. So it's like the, the beginning of triggered, right? But that's the way I use it in terms of communication just communication here. And then the other one is I have a, a worksheet for neutral, where people can put in the little neutral word in this metaphorical diagram that I put there. So they can take a picture of it and put it on their smartphone and just keep it close so that they, when they are in pressure situations, they can just look at that and be reminded that, oh, okay, okay, you know, I get it. Or I get it. I don't know. But, and then if they do feel triggered, you know, they, they can look at that and deal with that. But I think that so much is happening in people's lives right now. My goal is to help people focus on keeping their relationships together by communicating just a little bit better. Right. That's right. Today is the day, folks. It's a great day to communicate better, to be more clear, to be listen better, to give other people the benefit of the doubt, to maybe you need to speak up more, do what you need to do. Thank you for listening to the Speak Up Podcast. I appreciate your listening and I will catch you on the next edition. Bye-bye. 